With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver. I've got a great invitation for you. Michael Pena and I will be hopping on SI's new Open Floor Slack channel to discuss the upcoming NBA season on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. All you got to do is go to si.com slash openfloorglobe. That's si.com slash openfloorglobe to sign up. We will be in there at 4 p.m. Eastern, probably for about an hour to get excited for the Nets versus the Warriors the Clippers versus the Lakers, and all that other good stuff that's coming up. If you've got questions, if you want to interact, if you want to share some memes, whatever it might be, let us know. We'll see you there on the SI Slack channel at 4 p.m. Eastern. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina, soon to be officially minted member of Sports Illustrated. Michael, how was your weekend? Are you getting ready for the holidays? How's everything going? Good weekend. Uh, I'm just kind of hanging out in pajamas all day long until I get started. Uh, watching some preseason basketball. It's very exciting. But um, but yeah, it was. I'm I'm relaxing. Is is how I'll, I'll just sum up my time right now. How was your weekend, Ben? It was all right. Get that pajama time in now, though, Michael. Because Tuesday the games start, <laughs> and then Christmas we've got games. Wednesday there's like 43 games. This is the week of the NBA's regular season. I'll be honest, I've got to force the excitement a little bit. My mind is still spinning from the quick turnaround, but we've got some really, really interesting games coming up. Obviously, Nets Warriors Tuesday, uh, Lakers Clippers ring night, uh, of of course, the uh, quintuple header on Christmas, all sorts of good stuff. What I wanted to do today was kind of put a wrap on our NBA uh, season preview uh, slate that we've done here over the last, I don't know, month or two, uh, hitting on different topics. We're going to dive into which coaches might be on the hot seat, and we're also going to tease a couple of uh, top 100 debates, uh, Michael. My top 100 of 2021 will be posted on the Washington Post on Tuesday. I would love it if you guys would all check it out. It's always a good time uh, just to to look back at, you know, who are the true players that matter in this league? Who is on the rise? Who's falling? 
all those kinds of good things. And we're going to kind of tease that a little bit here at the end of the episode. But Michael, let's start with the extension news. I think we had a couple of deals that caught me somewhat by surprise, I would say, over the weekend. Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz inked a five-year, $205 million extension. So it's not quite the full Supermax, but... Uh, you know, Rudy Gobert is super duper rich. I'm curious right off the top, Michael, thumbs up or thumbs down. Good deal for Utah. Would you have given the green light if their new ownership group had, uh, you know, asked for your opinion uh, during these negotiations? Um, this is a tough one to answer, honestly. Like in a vacuum, this is almost objectively like Rudy Gobert is not worth this much money, right? Like $205 million. It's the biggest contract that a center has ever received at, during an era when the center position is uh, increasingly irrelevant or at least marginalized in what players are, um, what what the role is for a center in the league. And Rudy Gobert is a, a center who is not necessarily evolving. Like he doesn't, he doesn't create his own offense. He doesn't post up, but he also doesn't shoot threes. He has no touch outside the paint. Um, he's primarily paid because of his defense, and yet in the playoffs, like that defensive mobility, especially as his ages, as he ages, is not you know a plus or able to kind of. Um, allow uh, Utah to play different types of styles against different uh, opponents, particularly, you know, when a guy can shoot a pull-up three, Rudy Gobert is in trouble sometimes. Um, So, like, in a vacuum, no, I don't think that this was a great contract, but for a team that is, you know, a small market organization, the Utah Jazz, like, you, you know, you developed this guy, you turned him into an all-star, turned him into the two-time, helped turn him into a two-time defensive player of the year, all-NBA type of player, uh, one of the better players at his position. And you can't afford to, to lose him, really, because there's it's so difficult for a team like Utah to replace that sort of talent. So retaining your you know pseudo-co-franchise player is of utmost importance if you are the jazz organization. And so I understand why they felt the need to get a deal done heading into uh, his free agency. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of different ways you could justify it. I think, first of all, you look back at their track record. It was a shortened season last year, but they were on pace again for 50 wins. So that's four straight years kind of through uh, Rudy Gobert's uh, previous contract where they're winning basically 50 games every single year, always in the playoffs, always with a chance to win a series, just constantly in the mix. They're completely passing the relevance test. Now, they might not be uh, achieving that contender status, right? As you're saying, he, he maybe isn't worth $200 million. Well, if you've got guys like an Anthony Davis or even a Paul George or a Giannis, you're saying, well, yeah, you're going to pay those guys $200 million because they're going to get you into that title conversation. They're going to sell a lot of jerseys. They're going to have a, a lot of buzz around them and everything else. And, and Gobert probably falls short of that standard as a player. But for Utah, I think that maybe they have slightly different goals, right? If they want to be in the playoffs every year, if there's sort of a civic pride aspect, which the new ownership group has talked about, if you want to just, you know, uh, be a representation of your city and your state um, and your community, uh, you're going to need really, really good players to do that. If you take Gobert out of the picture and don't pay him, 
you're going to struggle to have that level of success, even if Donovan Mitchell continues to blossom without Rudy Gobert. I mean, ultimately, the biggest X factor to this contract, uh, you know, to me was the relationship between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. If we go back to March and April, it was very fractured after Rudy Gobert's positive test and and Mitchell's subsequent positive test. Uh, There were some real questions in my mind, would they need to trade Gobert just to kind of clear out the locker room because of uh, the resentment level? And Mitchell has come out and, and kind of put all that stuff to bed, said they've moved forward, moved past it. I do think that as a society, we've learned a lot about the virus uh, since that initial fear and kind of uh, terror and, and paranoia back in, in March and April. Now, obviously, we're, we're still in a very difficult spot as a country, but I do think our, our understanding and maybe our compassion uh, has evolved uh, quite a bit. And I think that's true in the case of, of Mitchell and Gobert. I think they're a very good partnership. I wouldn't describe them as a great partnership. I think that we spent a lot of time imagining what Ben Simmons would look like if he didn't play with uh, you know, Joel Embiid and had his own team. I also kind of wonder what would Donovan Mitchell look like if there wasn't a center in the paint and he was able to just kind of attack freely in a, a spread offense and he could kind of go nuts. I mean, would his numbers just you know completely pop off the page? Would he get himself into MVP conversations? All that kind of thing. But the, the, the track record of consistent winning I'm sure is what the what the key point here was um, you know for their decision making and also they've been loading up you know they've got all these other veterans they've gone out and grabbed a Mike Conley they paid Bojan Bogdanovic the whole thing was kind of built around Rudy Gobert so if you didn't pay up to keep Rudy like what was the point of everything else they've done here over the last two years yeah, exactly. And I, I do wonder how much the, you know, Giannis getting taken off the board, taking himself off the board, LeBron taking himself off the board, and Paul George taking himself off the board as free agents in 2021 really motivated Utah to get a deal done because they don't want this guy to head into unrestricted free agency and have a team like the Dallas Mavericks with a ton of money to spend. Or, I mean, there's just a ton of teams that have, that would be willing to max out Rudy Gobert, I think. So if you were Utah, there's a big fear there. And then also, again, I go back to my, my earlier point about how difficult it is to retain a player like that if you are the Utah Jazz, or not retain, but replace a player like that. Because as you said, they're, they're uh, basically capped out for the foreseeable future with the contracts that they have. So there's, cap space is not really an option. You know, they're they're very good as it is. So getting a high lottery pick is probably not going to be an option. Someone who can come in and help right away. So like you just re-signed Donovan Mitchell, who's 24 years old, but you want to be competitive throughout Donovan Mitchell's current contract because if you lose Donovan. Uh, to his next deal. I mean, there's the clock is always ticking in the NBA. So if you lose Donovan in his next deal, like where are you as an organization? So I, I just felt like they had to get a deal done. It was very expensive, but that's just, you know, that, those are the breaks and that's kind of like just the market right now. But it's just, I guess like the question I just have for you is, do you think that the Utah Jazz can win a championship um, throughout the life of this five-year extension for Rudy? Uh, not really. Let, let me double back on that one in a second. Just to underscore how you're describing how difficult it is to replace him, all you need to do is look back and think about the odds it took to get Rudy Gobert in the first place, right? They drafted mm-hmm. him at 27. How many guys ever you know, become defensive player of the year, perennial all-star candidate, uh, you know, 50 win plus players at 27? Hardly ever happens. They had to actually trade for that pick. So that was another variable that kind of prevented it. And then they also had to put in years and years of developing him. I mean, this guy was not 
an immediate impact guy. I mean, there was some crazy good flashes early, you know, coming out of summer leagues and stuff like that. I remember the, the buzz building around him and just like, wow, they've really got something here. And I think maybe even the Jazz were like, whoa, he's way better than we anticipated. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it was a, you know, a, a definitely a, a developmental project that, that took multiple years to pay off. So of course, again, when he's in his late 20s, you want to get the maximum benefit of all of that prior work. And it was no guarantee. It was also no guarantee he was going to be able to rebound from the coronavirus as well as he did. I mean, when I talked to him, you know, down in, in the bubble, you know, he's saying that he still had lingering symptoms months later of, you know, the loss of taste and, and the loss of smell. I mean, he said it, it really messed with his head uh, being isolated when he was recovering from his family. I mean, that was a tough period to go through. And so for him to kind of like turn his career back around, get back out there in the bubble, score the first points, hit those free throws to win their first game. You know, they, they put up a pretty good fight um, in that first round series uh, against Denver. And I think they would have won that series had they had Bojan Bogdanovic. I mean, that's, again, we shouldn't take those kinds of things for granted when it comes to telling the Rudy Gobert story. I mean, there was, you know, no, uh, nothing was guaranteed here, I guess is my point. Now, in terms of their future, I just don't really see it. Um, I mean, they're locked in now with their two, you know, really big salary guys. At some point, they're going to have to find another uh, option besides Conley in the backcourt. That's probably going to wind up being somewhat of a downgrade, uh, you would expect, just based on how difficult it is for them to, to get talent. And remember going back to how hard it was to get Gobert. I mean, you're not going to be signing a player like that in free agency if you're the Utah Jazz. That just doesn't happen. You know, they've got to settle for Derek Favors after he's kind of been passed around a little bit or, or Jordan Clarkson, those kinds of players. And, you know, trading for him is going to be very difficult uh, in, in large part because the superstar level guys or the, the all-star level guys have a lot of say in terms of, you know, dictating their future. And not a lot of guys are going to say, please, you know, trade me to uh, the Utah Jazz. And so the draft is really their main avenue for adding major talent. The fact that they hit a home run, you've got to keep that guy. So uh, looking forward, I don't see a title ceiling. I think this is a team that, you know, they're they're sort of in that mix, kind of like Portland a couple years ago or even Denver last year, where if you reach the Western Conference Finals, it's a smash success. As long as you're in the playoffs, everybody stays happy. The fan base stays engaged. The community stays proud. And that's sort of what they're going for. What do you think? I mean, hmm, it's a tricky one. Like, I have a lot of faith in Donovan Mitchell um, as a, you know, at high 20 point per game scorer a perennial all-star a perennial all nba player when he's in his prime so if he takes a step forward and makes another leap offensively um, or just as an all-around player and particularly as a playmaker then i honestly do think that this team can win a championship at some point but it's going to be very difficult as you said to replace someone like mike conley who didn't want to go reportedly didn't even want to go to utah when there were rumors about um, a trade interest at the deadline i believe uh, the year before he actually ended up there so like it's not a coincidence that they had to pay Jordan Clarkson that much money to stay it's going to be really tricky for this team to just kind of sustain its its success and going from very good to great in the NBA is the hardest leap any organization can make it's it's just a lot on there's a lot on Donovan's shoulders there's going to be a lot on Rudy to continue to improve even though he's already 28 years old um, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, the way the way I look at it, Michael, they got to play Frogger if they're going to win a title. They've got to dodge <laughs> Steph Curry, right? They got to dodge Steph Curry. Then they got to dodge Anthony Davis, right? Um, then they're probably going to have to dodge a Luka Doncic, and they're going to have to dodge uh, uh, 
you know, Kevin Durant coming out of the Eastern Conference. I mean, any of those uh, types of players, or and LeBron as well, of course, any of those players who can exploit Gobert's, you know, defensive inflexibility, in other words, his desire to remain in the paint as much as possible, and any team that can kind of snipe over the top of him, we've seen James Harden, Chris Paul do that in the playoffs with regularity. I mean, Steph Curry spun him around. Everybody remembers that highlight, uh, you know, kind of during his peak years uh, back mm-hmm. in whatever that was, 2016, uh, you know, around that era. Um, those are going to be recurring problems for Gobert. Those problems are going to get worse as he gets older. I actually thought he took a slight step back from a de- defensive impact standpoint last year um, before the shutdown. And so you really hope that trend doesn't continue if you're the Jazz, given how much money you've just invested here. But there's so many players who fit that bill, and you've got to basically avoid all of them, or otherwise they're going to win their matchup so handily against the Jazz that you know you're you're going home. That that's what makes me nervous, you know. Like, how helpful was he against Jamal Murray in that first round series? Right. All I saw was Murray scoring forty points every single night. Well, and- <laughs> uh, what, what I what I share what I'd say is that they were up three one in that series, and it ended in like one of the most climactic moments that could have gone either way uh, in that game seven. Um, so uh, like, that was in the first we- round, right? So they're not they're but they're not dealing with any what we would say like top five, top six, top seven players in that series. And so I think it only gets harder from there. I mean, the rest of his gauntlet was going to be, you know, you've got to handle Kawhi Leonard, you've got to handle LeBron James sure. and Anthony Davis. Uh, you know, in other years, it could be Steph Curry, it could be Kevin Durant. Um, these are just really tough spots for Rudy Gobert to be in. And I, I, you know, that's why we view him in that like 10 to 20 or or 15 to 25 range as a player, as opposed to a top 10 guy, because he's just not going to win those matchups. We've seen it year in and year out. I don't think it's ever going to change. No, I mean, you're right. Like beating the Clippers would have been tough. Beating the Lakers would have been really tough. And they didn't have Bojan Bogdanovic, who's their third best player, probably, but also their second best offensive player uh, in the bubble at all. Um, So that would have been very difficult. Um, But I don't know, like, I guess the other question I have about this contract is, do you view it as kind of like a like a positive value deal in that if the jazz were to move it in a trade, they would have to attach some type of asset to get off of it. Or do you think if they, you know, if this doesn't work out or if they're really disappointed with Gobert's production or just whatever the results are of the season and they feel like they need to uh, parachute out of it, like they could get off this contract in a trade similar to what the Los Angeles Clippers did to Blake Griffin. Do you think that that is, I mean, I'm not saying that they will do that. I'm just saying like, do you think that is a possibility here or a recourse? I think you're signing this deal knowing that you're going to keep them for like at least two years. Right. And so then you're, mm-hmm. you're asking the question, are we going to be trying to trade him when the deal is three years and 120, right? That seems reasonably tradable given that John Wall just got traded (laughs) given that Russell Westbrook just got traded I mean like (laughs) there are ways to construct deals with that and I I do think that that's sort of the value of your Utah is you can run this thing out as long as you want and then uh, you know if if it does take a turn um, it shouldn't be impossible to unload but I think they also just view him as like a valued member of that franchise I mean he's been there he's almost one of the longest tenured players in the league right now even though he's only been there seven seasons that tells you everything about the modern NBA in terms of how yep. guys jump around and so um, I think that you know maybe he's getting a little bonus on, on this deal just for uh, 
you know, citizenship award, if you want to call it that. Michael, we had another extension. Kyle Kuzma, Los Angeles Lakers, three years, $40 million. I'll be honest, I was very surprised that this deal got done. I thought this was going to be a classic case where the Lakers were going to want to lowball him. Kuzma was going to say, you know what, I have star potential. Uh, I didn't necessarily get to show it in the bubble. I want to bet on myself and, and potentially get a significantly larger contract next summer in free agency. As you were describing, the the crop has gotten so thin for the 2021 class. I mean, Kyle Kuzma is a classic guy to get wildly overpaid and have all of us freak out about whoever gave him, you know, a hundred something million dollars uh, next summer. And yet he re-signed on a three-year, $40 million contract player option on the third year. What did you make of this deal, Michael? I mean, um, I guess like the two words that popped into my head as soon as I saw it were eminently tradable. Like that's just kind of the vibe I get out of this. I feel like the Lakers haven't had a tradable asset with big money on the on uh, like a, a contract that they could move um, in a deal to kind of upgrade for more win now. I mean, they just won the title with Kuzma, so I don't want to just completely crap all over him but an opportunity to improve with a more stable like a guy who's not shooting 30 percent from the three-point line who has a more positional complementary feature than what he is with lebron and anthony davis um so like i guess like that's that was my number one takeaway of this and it's not very long i think that you could easily get off of it um Kyle Kuzma has some intrigue maybe around the league and he would be shiny just because um you know he just won the championship and he was there were some moments of of success that he had in the bubble so well I gotta say um, Michael I, I just went back and have, have been writing the some of the playoff stories for the Lakers uh-huh. in, in my yeah. book I gotta say most of Kuzma's appearances are because of turnovers and LeBron just freaking out on him because of turnovers <laughs> like he was not the most central figure on that title team. And that was another reason why I was uh, actually kind of dubious that they would uh, want to offer him an extension because they obviously took care of the, the, the biggest priorities, LeBron and AD, and then Kentavious Caldwell-Pope is that secondary priority. And then they make the other moves around the roster. But I think if you're the Lakers, you could view Kuzma as almost completely expendable, right? I mean, he wasn't part of their best five group when they went to the small ball lineups, uh, you know, bringing in Caruso to close out that title. Kuzma's not in that group. And and as you're saying, he's providing some three-point shooting and, and offense here and there. But I think to me, the, the Lakers did a really nice job here of accurately valuing him, not overpaying because of the afterglow of a title, probably holding a pretty firm line and just kind of daring Kuzma to, to uh, head into this season and uh, you know try to outperform whatever their offer was. And I guess the reason why I was surprised is I feel like Kuzma settled here, right? Like, I don't think he's the world's greatest player, but I definitely think he had a lot more than $40 million of earning potential next summer. And I think there's a lot of value to Kuzma, given the way he positions himself and the way he brands himself off the court to remain with the Lakers. I'm not saying like he took a clout chase discount, but it does kind of feel that way. You know what I mean? No, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, like, do I think he was a lock to make more elsewhere? No, but he also gets to live in Los Angeles and be a Laker and play with LeBron and AD and masquerade as the third fiddle and 
be more famous than than good. I mean, that's not like a terrible life choice if you're Kyle Kuzma and well, like a like, good compa- comparison is Lonzo and Josh Hart, right? How much does the national media talk about those two guys now compared to when they were Lakers? Right, five percent. Yeah, I, I couldn't. Agree. I was about to say a hundred percent, but that was to agree with your great point, Ben. <laughs> here we are, just doing a math lesson over here with some percentages. Yes. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page there, Michael. Uh, let me ask you one final Kuzma question, though. What's the over under on how long he's a Laker? In other words, you know, I think that when you're signing him to this deal, you're probably keeping him through this season. You know, you're, you're giving him another shot. But if you had to say, okay, he's going to become trade bait, or they're going to move forward, they're going to have a different priority. When do you see that taking place? Or do you think he's going to be able to make it through the two years and maybe opt out and, and then, uh, you know, everything goes forward from there? I I don't think he's going to make it through the life of this contract in L.A. I think that it would not, you know, it would not 100% shock me if the Lakers made like a Montrez Harrell plus Kuzma plus distant future first round pick type of deal before this year's trade deadline. Like, I just think that, I just think that the, the contract extension for him makes him more attractive to other teams because he is at a very affordable price going forward for the next couple of years. And then whoever gets him can kind of deal with it, uh, cross that bridge when they get there. Um, so, I mean, I, I, like if the Lakers do not win the championship, this is something else that I've just been thinking about. Like their, their recourse to, to upgrade is going to be really difficult because they have five important players who can be free agents next summer. So I feel like a, a Kuzma trade is a really good chip for them to have in their back pocket. So like a year is really maximum what I'm thinking. Okay, Michael, uh, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell for Danny's trade exception. Who says no? Just, just can we stop the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. All right, let's uh, shift gears here to one of my favorite preseason conversations every year. I don't know when I first started doing this uh, overview column, Michael, but I do it every single year. I look at which coaches are going to be on the hot seat, who maybe is in a different spot than they were last year from a pressure, from an expectation standpoint, and then just from a contract standpoint too. You know, we we get real deep into player option, team option, and all this stuff with the, the players. But of course, it matters too when you're talking about coaches. You know, for last year, as an example, Mike D'Antoni enters as a lame duck coach. Billy Donovan uh, enters as a lame duck coach. Both those guys wind up moving on at the end of the uh, the season, and they're replaced by first-time uh, assistant coaches, basically getting promoted into first-time head coaches' jobs. So, I mean, that tells you, uh, you know, maybe those organizations were trying to cut costs potentially during the pandemic. Maybe that's something we should keep an eye on as we look forward, and, and other teams are, you know, faced with coaching decisions. But um, I wanted to just get your sense. I wrote this up for the, my Washington Post newsletter, and people can see my full rundown on all the guys we're about to talk about um, if they subscribe to that. Uh, but Michael, if I just said, look, which coach in the NBA is on the hottest seat entering this season, who would it be? I think it's, well, first of all, before I answer this question, uh, for our listeners, and definitely not for me, because I obviously have access to this information and totally know where I can attain it, but um, where can our listeners find out contract information for head coaches? Do you know, is there a website out there? Yeah, so it's a it's a little known website. Uh, I'll spell it for you: g o o g l e dot com. 
and, and I, I'm being facetious, Michael. Sorry, <laughs> but you, uh, thank you. No, you have to do the the legwork and the research, and sometimes the full contract details don't get reported, so that part gets a little bit tricky. But usually, what happens is when the coaches get a big payday. Um, you know, the big five-year monster number, that one gets put out there. And then sometimes you've got to dig around. I mean, usually Woj has the uh, the uh, the details on some of these guys. And so that's that's generally how I do it. I don't, I'm not aware of one centralized coaching contracts database, but usually you'll notice it also in like local beat reporter, right? right you know, write-ups where they're saying, hey, Scott Brooks in Washington's entering the season as a lame duck. And, and then obviously you can kind of piece together the contract details from there. This seems like an internet market inefficiency that you and I can exploit at some point. If you want to, if you know anyone who knows how to like build websites, or if any of our wonderful listeners can help us out. Um, so I, yeah, I guess lots to- of page views coming <laughs> off of uh, you know Bjork Camp's contract details. But anyway, who is your number one hot seat coach, Michael? I mean, I think it's it's Mike Budenholzer. Yep, like, you're correct. It, pretty pretty easy one here. I mean, the way I look at this is coaches who are on a hot seat you know it's a measure of the relationship between patience and expectations so which teams have to win soon and are expected to win big uh, i mean that's the milwaukee bucks for me like they're an age like Giannis. obviously they re-sign him so you would think that they have forever but chris middleton is not super young they have brooke lopez there who's not super young um some of the other pieces drew holiday is not super young and also a free agent as of right now he has still not signed an extension with the team so there's just a lot of pressure on Bud, I think, to win, or at least to get to the finals, I would say. I would say if he gets to the finals and they're competitive in the finals, he will not lose his job. That would be a little silly. But um, a lot of it is also just their playing style, their lineups, their rotation, the minutes that Giannis plays, um, how Bud empowers Giannis in the playoffs. And, you know, if Giannis wants to guard Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler in a playoff series, um, he should have the um, ability to say, that is what I'm going to do. And uh, Coach Bud needs to kind of step aside um, or make the obvious adjustment that everyone watching at home wants to see. Uh, so I, I think it's him really easily. And then, I mean, behind Bud, like I'm, I'm sure well, you agree with Bud as number one. And yeah, yeah, let me hop on with Bud real quick. So I think you're right. Sure. When they lose matters, but how they lose matters too, if he's going to get fired. I think, first of all, I haven't really read a lot of what he's saying kind of coming into the season. I imagine they're overjoyed re-signing Giannis and everything else. But I hope his mentality is that he feels like very thankful not to get fired. And, you know, he's embracing the pressure of this moment, right? Because if you look at the other coaches whose teams just completely caromed out of the playoffs, right? Doc Rivers, fired. Mike D'Antoni, let go. Brett Brown, fired. Like, other, th- those were the four biggest teams, those three plus Milwaukee, uh, you know, to come up short of expectations um, in the bubble. And even, you know, you could throw in uh, New Orleans Pelicans with Alvin Gentry, fired almost immediately. So Bud is the last man standing here from that group of guys who just, you know, completely, uh, you know, turned in playoff letdowns from last season. So he was afforded a greater degree of patience and Um, job security than almost all of his colleagues, some of whom are more decorated and more accomplished than he is. So I hope he understands that, right? Because I think that we've gotten this feeling from Milwaukee's coaching staff over the last couple of years is that it's our way or the highway. We know what we're doing. Not everybody's kind of capable of understanding what we're about. And Look, that works when you're winning 60 regular season games every single year and blowing people off the court. But, you know, you, people are going to start picking holes in that when you're getting out coached by Nick Nurse, 
outcoached by Eric Spolstra and just turning in kind of shaky performances in general. So I, I just kind of hope, number one, that's kind of his mentality. Number two, I wouldn't even necessarily say that it's a finals or bust mandate for him. I mean, I think that that's where they would like to get is to win the Eastern Conference, of course, to get over that hump. But I could see a scenario where if it's a hard-fought Eastern Conference Finals, let's say KD just outduels Giannis, or let's just say uh, maybe it's Boston and they're just like deeper and more cohesive, and you know Milwaukee's second unit new additions just don't come through in the clutch, and it's not really a matter of coaching; it's just sort of a you know a, a style of a loss. I could see Bud kind of escaping in that scenario, but they cannot do what they did last year and the year before again. It's that will just have to be the breaking point for the fan base for the ownership group and for Giannis himself as you're describing with the minutes management with the lack of adjustments uh, and everything else so I think if you're looking at uh, the big contenders as you mentioned most of the other coaches are sitting pretty right aren't they all just kind of looking around saying well you know Frank Vogel's not worried about anything Spolstra uh, Nick Nurse Brad Stevens Doc Rivers just got there I mean all those guys are pretty comfortable I think Steve Nash is feeling comfortable as a first-year coach obviously huge expectations but uh, you know, we're not going to see a scenario. They get 15 games in and they move on from him. That's just not going to take place. And and same can, deal can in I the jump, Western I, Conference. Can, uh, yeah, real quick. I, I mean, I, just Ty Lue and, and Michael Malone are both sitting pretty as well, I think, in their job. So maybe you feel differently on any of those names, but uh, I think that's what also sets Bud apart. I have two wild cards that I want to bring up, and you just mentioned one of them. Oh. And I, d- I don't think that these guys are going to lose their job, and I don't think that they should lose their job, obviously, because the season hasn't started yet. But... You know, you said Steve Nash. Steve Nash falls under the parameters that I described before of a team that has to win soon and is expected to win big. And I know that this is just his first go around. And I know he signed, obviously, signed a new, just signed a new long term contract, et cetera. But like, if things don't go well and people start pointing fingers, and guess what? There's some players on that team who like to point fingers. Guess who's going to lose their job? It's not going to be Sean Marks. It just isn't. So, uh, like, you know, I, I if a move needs to be made, uh, that's the guy who is that. That's the fall guy, right? And there's some, uh, you know, he's sitting right next to Mike D'Antoni on his bench. So, you know, I've heard uh, these stories about the ruthless New York media. My God, Michael, <laughs> he hasn't even coached a game yet. Their first game is tomorrow. You're already trying to fire him. I'm sorry. I, there's just you know this is an exercise. We're just we're just critically thinking. Um, and I mean, gener- like to preface this whole conversation, I don't. Th- I think like uh, almost every coach in the league right now, I expect to do like a really good job, and is not in a position to lose their 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 employment right now. So, um, like, and some of the coaches that you've listed here. Um, in our outline that you believe uh, could be on the hot seat. Like, I agree with you uh, that perceptively that they could lose their job, but like, I just disagree with whether or not they should or not. Right. So let me kind of reframe the, the landscape here. If you go back over the last 12 months, 10 teams have already changed their coaches, right? So when I'm describing a lot of these contending organizations, are their coaches are probably feeling pretty safe. It could be because they just got hired like a Steve Nash. In my opinion, he's going to be okay this year. Or it could be because they're just long tenured coaches who aren't going to get fired. Like Eric Spolster is just not going to get fired. There's not going to be some situation where things go so disastrously in Miami that they decide, oh, enough is enough. And Spo is not our guy anymore. That's just not going to happen. Right. And so you have a, a baseline, probably at least 10 coaches around the league who are feeling pretty comfortable and, and have just got the right relationship with their front office. They're going to be in a good spot. Now, 
that leaves uh, a third chunk of coaches, either not the new guys and not the long-term established guys who are safe and comfortable, where we have to look around and start to ask some questions, right? And it's possible because we had 10 coaches get fired last year that the number is actually lower this year. In fact, it's probably likely it's going to be a lot lower. And so when I was doing the kind of canvas of the league, Coach Bud jumped out because he's just kind of checks all the boxes for a guy who uh, would be in a situation where it's kind of like judgment day for him and, and put up or shut up time, right? If they go out in the second round, he is the fall guy. That's just going to be what happens, right? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainer, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Now, in terms of some of these other names, I'm going to read them off quickly, and then you just tell me who you want me to explain, all right? I think we've got okay. Luke Walton in Sacramento. We've got Scott Brooks in Washington. We've got Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta. We've got Dwayne Casey in Detroit. And we've got Ryan Saunders in and Minnesota. Now, I'm not necessarily saying all these guys are going to get fired. I just think that their seats are hotter. They're facing more expectations this year, or the situations have changed in a way that they should be feeling less comfortable this coming season compared to last season. So who do you want me to explain? So uh, can we talk about Ryan Saunders for two seconds? Because this is coming off of uh, a statement that Glenn Taylor, owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, just made where he basically declared um he believes that the Timberwolves are going to make the playoffs so like all of a sudden we go back to expectations that's just setting up failure for poor Ryan Saunders like I don't believe that I don't believe he's a bad coach I think he really connects with players players love him the style of play that Minnesota had last season was a smart one uh, they just didn't have the personnel um 
And so I, I think like sometimes we put un- when we put unfair expectations on a coaching staff um, and a guy who's only been there for a couple of years, like it's just it's it's just unfair to say he's on, it's on the hot seat. I, I just I I agree with you that he's. This is a really Michael, complicated discussion to have. But. I feel like I've got to tell you, you know, Santa Claus may or may not be real. <laughs> Life may or may not be fair. Look, it's it's a brutal, cold world out there, right? Nasty, know, brutish, man. and short. You know all this stuff from a high school philosophy class. So here's the thing with Ryan Saunders. I think I agree with all of the positive attributes you've described. Uh, friendly, uh, excellent communicator. I just love the fact that he's a fitness uh, psychopath. He tracks everything, his sleep, his, his calorie burns. I mean, I sit here with two smartwatches on simultaneously and a smart ring on my finger. You know, we see the world the same way. I think it's all about the expectations game, both for him and for Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta. I I think when you get hired, you get that grace period, you know, especially when you've got a rebuilding team, you know, a a year could go by, 18 months could go by, and people are going to say, well, look, I mean, this guy's younger, he's less experienced, it's going to take some time to get his feet wet. Ultimately, people's patience run out. And I think with Atlanta, ownership is also putting the kind of pressure you're describing in Minnesota. They're raising that pressure and saying, look, we spent all this money during the offseason. Um, it's time to go out there and win some games. It's a similar deal for Glenn Taylor. He's saying, look, I just got D'Angelo Russell and the number one pick. You know, th- These are meaningful additions. You've got to you know, show some progress here. I don't think this is a scenario where Ryan Saunders has to make the playoffs or he gets fired. I don't think that's the situation at all. I just think that they need to be demonstrably better than last year to the point where they're not kind of an also ran early on, not dealing with like, you know, a month straight of losing games if Carl Anthony Towns Mm -hmm. goes out. There's got to be just an increased level of competence and excitement around the organization. If there's not, people are going to start looking around and kind of, uh, you know, pointing fingers and saying, well, what's going wrong here? And I, I do think that's unfair in his case. And also, you can make a really strong case it's it's unfair in Lloyd Pierce's uh, situation as well. I mean, they did take yes. a step back last year. Uh, that That is a fact. And if they don't make a big step up this year, now he's in the last guaranteed year of his contract. I think the ownership group's going to be saying, look, we had the biggest free agency, uh, you know, spending spree of any team in the league. What more can we do? Like, you know, we gave you the pieces to win. You have to go out there and win. And I actually do think that he may face a playoff mandate. Like if they're not in that, you know, even in the playing round, right? If they finish 11 or lower, I feel like they're probably going to make a move there. What do you think? No, I mean, I, I agree. And I hate it, honestly, because like, I think Lloyd Pierce is a really, uh, a really good coach. And I think he got a really raw deal last season. I mean, this, it was his second season, and it basically begins with his second best player um, failing a drug test and then getting suspended for 25 games, and then all of the pieces on the roster kind of get disheveled, and everyone's unhappy with their new role that they didn't expect. And I, I had a conversation with him about this in New York when he came through, and it's just it was a really tough situation, and everyone was pointing fingers in the locker room, and there were reports about bad chemistry, and Trey Young was upset, and 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 Trey Young's teammates were upset at him. And so that's that's just like a tough situation for him. And, and I feel like I understand what you're saying about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and all that. But like, man, like let this guy this guy was brought in to oversee a rebuild. And like all of a sudden it's no longer a rebuild. And that's not his fault. And he's doing the best he can. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, I understand they bring in Nate McMillan and that's not really a great sign for Lloyd Pierce either. But um 
but yeah, I just wish that, that ownership sometimes had more patience. And I say this as someone who obviously was a huge fan of Atlanta's offseason and the moves that they made. And I do think that they will make the playoffs. But if they don't, look, a lot of things can go wrong there. There's We're playing during a pandemic. Like Things can happen this season that are very weird and that are not the coach's fault. So it would be a shame if they let him go because they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, well, the crazy part is you can flip this around and look at what's happened in Detroit with Dwayne Casey, and it's almost like the exact opposite version, right? He's hired to coach a winning veteran team and try to get them into the playoffs. They've got Andre Mm -hmm. Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and Blake Griffin as their core group. You fast forward not even two years, Drummond's gone, Reggie Jackson's gone, Blake Griffin's on the trading block. They brought in all these centers who make no sense, and now Jeremy Grant is the freaking guy, and you're working for a GM <laughs> who just paid all these guys out of nowhere, right? And and he's not the guy who hired you in the first place, and so now you're Dwayne Casey, a veteran, well-respected coach, and you're looking at this uh, situation, and you're thinking, wait a minute, this wasn't what I signed up for. This is what wasn't what they hired me to do. This is a completely different coaching challenge, and now I've got to figure out how to develop Killian Hayes into James Harden. Well, that sounds a lot different than what uh, you were asking me just two years ago, right? I almost wonder, should Detroit and Atlanta change coaches, Michael? Should they trade? Oh, wow. Um, I don't even think this is legal. I'm not sure the salary matching rules apply here, but what do you think? Should we just trade Dwayne Casey for Lloyd Pierce straight up and, uh, you know, solve everybody's problems at once? That's not the worst idea that I've heard today, Ben. I'll say that. Um, (laughs) Which was Kuzma taking a discount from the Lakers? (laughs) It was your fake uh, Montreal Kyle Kuzma into the Boston Celtics trade exception. That's that's the worst thing anyone's ever said to me. Um, No, but... Uh, no, that would be really interesting, and it kind of makes sense with what you're saying. I mean, the Dwayne Casey situation is just like, um, again, I go back to like expectations. The Detroit Pistons should have absolutely no expectations, so why would Dwayne Casey be on the hot seat? Um, but then again, it's a new front office, and they did not hire Dwayne Casey, and they might look for someone who's a little temperamentally more on the timeline of the young players that they're trying to develop, um, but at the same time, they signed all these players who are win now, and Blake Griffin's still on the roster. So, I, like, I don't even know what's going on in, in Detroit. It's very difficult to kind of ascribe any emotion there. But um, yeah, the, but the yeah. worst part for them is it's probably going to take like a full year for this all to play out. I think Casey's in the third year of a five-year contract, so he's got some financial protection. If they fire him, it's going to be expensive. Um, I just think this season is going to be just very depressing for them. Unfortunately, it's just going to be mm-hmm. kind of a countdown to the Griffin trade. If they can't get it done this year, then it's going to be like a 20-something win season where everybody's just like, why are we even doing this? And my heart goes out to Casey. I mean, that guy had an awesome run in Toronto, and he just barely missed out on the glory. And I do think he was so eager to stay in coaching I wonder if we had just, you know, told him to think on that Pistons offer for a couple of weeks, if he would have thought differently and maybe made a better choice. But who knows? I mean, it's a cutthroat business. So what do you think about Luke Walton in Sacramento? They've got a new GM there in Monty McNair. They also took a step back last season in Walton's first year. Um, didn't win as much as they did under Dave Yeager. I think there was questions about effort and focus team identity you know are they trying to play fast or play slow why isn't fox you know breaking through like a lot of people expected um they didn't make any major offseason additions to their roster so you could argue he's being set up to fail here a little bit uh, he's in year two of a four-year contract and we know vivek loves to cycle everybody all the time if you were him would you be nervous or, or what would you be feeling like you had to do this year to keep your job 
I mean, doesn't it feel like forever ago when this dude was the assistant coach in the Golden State Warriors and they went 39 and 4 because he was the interim head coach at the start of the season and you know, he's like the sexiest assistant that's in line to get a head coaching job elsewhere and then he gets hired by the Lakers. Like, doesn't that feel so long ago? Like, well, didn't he win like 25 straight games to start the season? It was like the single greatest coaching performance of all time. Yeah, that's that's a bajillion years ago. Um, when I look at Luke Walton since, like, he did basically nothing in L.A., unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it was a tough it tur- tough, it, tough, rosters. It turns out that uh, Steph Curry and Buddy Heald are not the same quality of player. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Um, but the thing about what he did in Sacramento last season, I mean, I just don't know what – it's really difficult to kind of – define what matters to him i mean they go from this super exciting team under dave yeager they're third in pace offense is humming they've got one of the fastest point guards in the league and they're really accentuating their style because of him and then uh luke walton becomes the head coach and they go to 19th in pace and what's really funny is that he tried to make that adjustment because he wanted you know he didn't want them to skip steps he wanted everyone to kind of understand the fundamentals and what he wanted to preach on the defensive end they were 19th under dave yeager in defensive rating guess what they were under luke walton in his first season probably 20th they were 19th Oh, okay so there's there's absolutely no improvement on what he's trying to preach i know that there were some injuries marvin bagley is just uh it's getting kind of sad and i'm really excited to see him healthy this season but I mean, like, I just don't see a reason to like keep him around here. I don't know if he's a good coach. I don't know if he's a bad coach. I would like him to kind of embrace just the sensibilities of the roster and play faster and make everybody, I don't know, play like a, an exciting brand of basketball. But at the same time, there's no expectations in Sacramento. Like, they cannot no one thinks that they're actually going to make the playoffs so i i can't see them also like at the same time i can't see them firing him in the middle of the season well that's right? that's the problem though because i think external expectations are like look the kings are going to be 12 to 15th just like every year they don't have enough talent fox is good but not good enough to carry them into the western conference playoff chase they're just kind of stuck right but i think internal expectations with vivek every year he thinks they're going to make the playoffs every year he fire, fires either his gm or some executive or his coach i mean he's just constantly how, shaking things up how how many playoff appearances has vivek made as as owner of the sacramento kings none they're on 14 years straight of lottery appearances <laughs> and if they get a 15th somebody might get fired for it and it's you know it's it's kind of ludicrous at some point ownership will kind of figure those kinds of things out and maybe start to look within a little bit um i would try to give him another year here but i would want to see a real identity from this team they've either got to be more fun or more hardworking, or more committed and, and more unselfish something like they've got to make progress in some area that he can kind of sell because right now they're just kind of bad in every possible way simultaneously and that's a really tough watch and you know, there is expectations from that fan base. They've got some really, really loyal fans who want to see something that they can cheer for. And I'm sure they're mm-hmm. glad they've got that Fox extension taken care of because now they know he's their guy. Uh, but it takes more than one player to get this thing done. And so I think some of that's going to fall on Luke Walton. All right, last one real quick. Scott Brooks in Washington. Um, you know, to me, lame duck coach, he's, he's in the last year of a five-year, $35 million contract. It's fantastic cash out for him. They've actually lost uh, more games each year from year one through year four of his contract. So the momentum is going the wrong way. 
I think he's like the biggest winner of the John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade, though, because of his relationship with uh, Russell Westbrook, because of the odds that Westbrook's going to have a bigger impact on their playoff hopes this year than John Wall would have. I'm still not sure he's got enough on that roster to get into the playoffs. And I think at this point, he's in a similar spot as D'Antoni and Donovan last year, where it's not that he's necessarily coaching for his job, it's that he's coaching for a new contract and he's going to be expecting to get paid, you know, something close to what he was making on this current deal. And there's going to be, you know, some thoughts, I think, around the league that's like, look, I mean, if you just hire a first-time coach, you can pay him a fraction of what Brooks is making and get pretty similar results, right? I think that's going to be a, an argument some people would want to make during kind of this cost-cutting mode of, of the NBA with so much revenue drying up. So that's a real challenging spot for him to be in. Uh, I'm curious, do you think he will be back as Wizards coach next year? What does he have to get done to ensure that happens? I mean, you made a really interesting point just discussing internal versus external expectations. Like when I look at the Wizards, I don't think that the playoffs should necessarily be an internal expectation. I think it's going to be tough to get one of those last that last seed or two in the Eastern Conference because there's a lot of really good teams in the East right now. Hey, um, Michael, will you deliver that memo to Westbrook for me? And I just want to film it. <laughs> it's like, don't worry, you don't you don't need to make the playoffs. How how do you think that would go with him? Actually, it would go great. It would be a wonderful conversation. Um, no feelings would be hurt at all. Uh, so, but like my point is that if the Washington Wizards don't make the playoffs, like I you know I don't necessarily blame Scott Brooks for that. I think that. Um, you can feel free to not pick up his contract because you feel like you want to go in a different direction. I don't think he's shown you, like, he's not someone who you should be over the moon about based on the four years so far, but I'm not really blaming him. But at the same time, like, if they do well um, and if they make the playoffs and if they're competitive in a series, like, I, I could see him getting brought back because there's not too many coaches out there who can deal with a Russell Westbrook-esque personality. And Brooks obviously has experience doing that. And if they have success on the floor this year, then he will have picked up where he left off, presumably. So you don't want to, you don't want to kind of, uh, do any damage there. So I could see them bringing him back if they make the playoffs. For sure. I mean, you don't want any of these guys fired, Michael. I think you've got a nice, large heart. It's probably the Christmas season. It's the worst possible timing to be having this conversation. It's <laughs> just like, let's let's hand out some <laughs> pink slips for the holidays. Are there any other guys on your radar who I didn't mention? You had a wild card with Steve Nash. Who were the others that mm-hmm. you were looking at? So I only have one other wild card, and he's like one of my favorite coaches in the league, and I don't see him losing his job. But when we are having the discussion of expectations and patience, I'm going with Terry Stotts. Oh, wow. Um, I think that this team has a very high payroll. This team is expected to do well this season. Uh, you know, this is that time is running out with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They bring in Robert Covington. They have they have depth at every position. They have shooting. They have it all. Um, and he's made tweaks reportedly to the defense for the first time, basically, since he's been there and to try to modernize things a little bit, which I like. If it doesn't work, um, I mean, that's really the only thing you can do if you are Neil O'Shea is to get rid of Terry Stotts. And that's a shame because he's a really great coach. But that's the kind of the, if I were to 
pick a coach who'd like shock me, but I mean, not shock me, but it, I think it would surprise the masses um, if he were to lose his job. I think that Terry Stotts would be near the top of the list there, but I'm not, I'm not like endorsing that he should at all. I want to be clear about that. Yeah, look, expectations are up because you know they're feeling really good about their offseason. They're feeling like they should be in the mix for home court uh, spot if they were to fall out of the playoffs, or maybe they get to that nine seed and can't work their way in through the play-in. Maybe uh, people take a look. I think the big advantage that Terry Stotts has is that Damian Lillard swears by him, and that has served him mm-hmm. very, very well for the the bulk of his Portland tenure. One last name that people should probably keep an eye on, not to get fired, obviously, but just as a possible coaching change heading into next season would be Popovich, right? I mean, I think that a lot of people thought last year was going to be a swan song. Uh, you go into the Olympics and call it good. Um did that all just get delayed a year? You know, he coaches this year. They go do the Olympics in, in, in the summer, and, and that's a wrap. I have no inside information on that, but it's been swirling for an awful long time. Um, if I was Popovich, this idea of traveling around the country, you know, during the, the pandemic and wearing masks to just even coach and all that stuff, I mean, that would be making me pretty nervous um, and uncomfortable uh, just from an age perspective and a risk perspective. So we'll just have to see whether he's you know, ready to call it a career or not. Uh, it's just been looming there for a couple of years. Michael, let's close this thing up some, with some quick hitting debates, okay? My top 100 of 2021 is coming out on the Washington Post website on Tuesday. Um, I sent you over the top 10 as a teaser. We're not going to read it because I can't give it away, but I do want to have some quick, just, you know, pick your guy type debate. So give me like a 30 second rundown. If I said Steph Curry or Anthony Davis, who should be higher on the top 100? And keep in mind, this is a one-year exercise. You're taking these players in a vacuum, regardless of their current teammates. You've got to factor into account health, age, off-court stuff like leadership and personality. Everything matters, and it's only for the upcoming season. You're trying to win as many games and a title as possible. Who are you taking, Anthony Davis or Steph Curry? This is such an impossible question. Um, Maybe it's recency bias on my part, but I'm going with Anthony Davis by the slightest of margins. Um, I mean, the individual shot creation was my concern heading into last year's bubble playoffs. I I knew he could be a dynamite pick-and-roll partner with just about anybody uh, on that roster. But I wondered about, you know, when LeBron sat and defenses took those options away, what could he do? He responded by basically making half of his mid-range jumpers, took, taking a ton of long twos also, um, going off the bounce um, and shooting like 80% at the rim when he got there. And uh, the on-off numbers, we've gone over this a million times, but the on-off numbers in the playoffs with LeBron um, where AD was very successful with LeBron off the floor and the Lakers were very successful as opposed to the regular season where they struggled a little bit when LeBron was not on the court. Those really that, that really popped to me because I was not high on the supporting cast in LA. So for him to carry that group to a title, not I mean, LeBron was obviously there too, um, is just so impressive. Um, so I got to go with him. And then, you know, you throw in defense, period. Like, it's not even a question. <laughs> um, so I'm going with AD by the slimmest of hairs. Yeah, I think in some past years, I would have taken Steph Curry over AD on the idea that Steph Curry has had more success as the number one guy leading a team on the idea that he had the biggest offensive impact in the league at his peak years. He could still have that actually uh, this year as well. His remarkable you know, impact stats, the plus minus uh, and all that stuff. I think right now though, I'm leaning Davis as well. I think if Davis was just a good defender, 
I would still take uh, Curry. But the gap on that side of the basketball where you've got AD, arguably the best defensive player in the entire sport, where to Curry, where he's a competitive, you know, does his job defender, a, a smart, experienced defender, but not a big impact maker on that end. That's a really, really wide gap. On the other end, we've seen Anthony Davis evolve and uh, improve his overall offensive tool set like you've described. So I think for me, if I had to start a franchise, the versatility factor of Anthony Davis, the idea that I could play him with basically any lineups, big lineups, small lineups, I could run the offense through him. I could use him as a number two guy. Um, he's going to make any of my ball handlers better. I think you know, just by his presence, his gravity, and his ability to, to score the basketball. And then he's also put some of the uh, the health questions behind him, right? I mean, he was always banged up. Um, in previous seasons, he was fighting through injuries during the playoffs, stayed on the court. He was very available. Uh, and with Curry, he's a little bit older now. You worry about the health stuff. And uh, if he misses time, given that he's your lead ball handler, we see what happens to their team when, when he's out. They just fall to pieces. So I think um, by the narrowest of margins as well, I go Anthony Davis. But it's a really fun debate to have, uh, especially when you're watching these guys kind of career arcs go, because I do think this is like Anthony Davis's absolute peak moment. Whereas for Steph Curry, I think some of the hype has subsided here a little bit. And, and so their lines maybe uh, of their careers have crossed here. All right, here's another one for you. Damian Lillard. Nikola Jokic, who you got? Man, <laughs> this is such a tough one. I well, look, I Michael. If this. I gave you easy questions, I mean, come on, what would we even do here? I know. No, I know. Um, I proposed this question to you. This this uh, this little versus oh, challenge. That's you're right. That's even better. You stumped yourself. Congratulations. I know. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Um, I'm going with. I'm going with Dame just because, you know, I just chose the big in AD over Steph. So I'm going with Dame over Jokic again by just like the smallest, smallest possible margin. Um, I mean, my case is just like you have a guy who has unlimited range, who is top five offense when he's on the floor, who can pull up from anywhere, who just breaks defenses down and forces defenses to do really uncomfortable things because of his outside shot, who can get to the basket and finish, who led the league in minutes last season, which is remarkable given his size and aggression and physicality. Obviously, there's a little bit of an issue on the defensive end, um, but you know Nikola Jokic is not Giannis Antetokounmpo on that side of the ball either. So um, I'm just going with Dame again by like the slimmest, slimmest, slimmest possible margin. So I'm I'm with you. I mean, in large part because I think that when you look at the talent that he's had in Portland, um, it hasn't always been great, and yet he's been able to turn them into a consistent winner of playoffs every single year. He has a slightly long track record of doing that than Jokic does. I think with Jokic, it might be a little bit trickier to build lineups around him just because he's such an unconventional player. But I do think there's a possibility if we get a year or two down the road where that idea kind of flips on its head and it's like, well, guess what? Jokic is just so good, even though he's weird and different, basically give him everybody and he's going to make them look awesome. Heck, he even got Jeremy Grant $60 million. That's how good Nikola Jokic is, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you can, you can make those kinds of, uh, those kinds of uh, back and forth debates. I mean, I think to me, when you're getting into high-level playoffs, like we saw him struggle head-to-head -head against Anthony Davis, he probably held up better against the Lakers than, than Lillard and the Blazers did. Not probably. They did 
um, hold up better than the Blazers did. Um, at the same time, I want to see just a little bit more of a postseason track record from Jokic. He's been phenomenal in his two uh, you know, postseason runs, and he's got some great shot making. Um, Lillard is just a little bit more of a conventional guy to build your roster around. And I think that's where the advantage comes in. He's also been super duper durable. You're not worrying about the weight issues, the body issues. Some of that stuff concerns me with Jokic, although he does seem to kind of have this superhuman strength where he, uh, avoid some of the stuff that catches up to, uh, you know, other big men and, and winds up, you know, being capable of playing huge minutes and must win games and, and still having energy late in those games. I don't really know how he does it. Maybe Zion can go to Nikola Jokic big man camp and and learn some of those things. It would be phenomenal if he could, Um, but uh, I digress. All right, last one, Michael. This is another one that you proposed. Giannis versus Luka. Now, this feels kind of like a troll question. I gotta, I gotta say, Michael, are you just trying to get me upset and and trying to defend Giannis's honor, or do you think Luka has enough upward momentum that we got to start thinking about him as a top? two, three, four, five type player in the NBA. Hmm. So, yeah, you really came at me strong when I proposed this one. And I think potentially why it was in my head is a realistic conversation is just all of the, the wonderful Dallas Mavericks fans who have been in my mentions oh. for the past two and a half weeks. So you're, yeah, I you're, love all you guys. You're overcompensating and, and you're yeah. pandering to your new uh, your new fan base. <laughs> I could be. Yes, they scared me. Um no, I like I also do think that Luka as young as he is and as uh you know compared to Giannis the like the accomplishments just aren't they don't stack up um particularly in the postseason. Um I I look at Luka I just think his offensive game is just so much more like easy it's easier for him to make everyone around him better. And if I'm looking forward into this upcoming season when I have to pick these guys, I still have questions about uh, Giannis's his mid-range game, his pinch post game, whether or not he's going to just take too many spot-up threes or pull-up threes because he's trying to prove something to himself. And Luca, where I see Luca improving um, from behind the three-point line, especially on spot-up attempts, um, and uh, and you know, obviously he loves the step backs and he gets to them anytime he wants. But this is also someone who just he li- can live at the free throw line. Um, he dimes up teammates better than basically anybody in basketball, except for like LeBron and CP, and uh, you can name like maybe one other person. So from a playmaker perspective, from a scoring perspective, and from a leadership perspective, I mean everybody loves Luca who plays basketball with him. So I hope I made a good argument. No, I mean, you sound like a hostage right now. Like I've got like, you know, some sort of a weapon (laughs) pointed at you and you're like reading off these statements that you may or may not believe, but you're just trying to like make nice with uh, our our, uh, Baltic listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you on all of your praise of Luke. I just think that when we're doing this top 100 exercise, I try to do it every year. You obviously want to factor in some level of improvement and sometimes rapid improvement from the younger players. But I do think it's really important to show respect to the most established guys and to kind of, you know, it's their thrown until they get knocked off. And I think with Giannis, he's at a point right now where the market is correcting against his reputation, right? People are saying, oh, did he really deserve both MVPs? Look at the playoff failures. 
Uh, people are saying he shouldn't have gotten Defensive Player of the Year. It's amazing that he can be the reigning Defensive Player of the Year and an underrated defender simultaneously, but that's what's happened because everybody's been hyping up Anthony Davis so much. And I think that the gap between uh, you know Giannis and, and Luke on the defensive end is massive. I think that is what establishes their winning baseline during the regular season. And, and until Luka wins meaningfully in the postseason and improves that his style of play, which is ideal for the modern postseason, can carry a team deep into the playoffs, you kind of have to default to Giannis, who has reached the conference finals, has guided two 60-win teams, has been a back-to-back MVP, and has all those accomplishments. Uh, I'm actually happy that Giannis signed his Supermax so that I think he's going to get a little bit of, of less nitpicking here in the short term, just less attention overall, and he can get back to doing what what he does, which is winning basketball games night after night and bringing awesome competitive energy fire. I think he's also an underrated leader from the standpoint of setting the tone for his teammates and creating a positive culture. Uh, I'm not sure he's the most vocal guy. I'm not sure he's you know, leading... Uh, you know, with raw, raw speeches or any of that stuff. And, and maybe some of his teammates rally around his personality, like his big highlight moments when he's sneering and, and doing that kind of stuff in a similar way to the, the Mavericks getting excited for Lucas theatrics. Uh, but I think ultimately he's the glue that's kept Milwaukee together. And they've had an awesome, awesome time here uh, the last couple of years, uh, especially during the regular season. So I got to go Giannis. I still think it's clear. If you want to ask me this question again in two years, Michael, there might be a different answer. Can I admit something to you? Please. Ben? I chose these two because I wanted to hit you with a little bit of reverse psychology, and I got you to say everything that I wanted to say about Luka Doncic. So um, I appreciate that, and I guess this proves that our argument from a couple episodes ago about the most entertaining teams, I, I won that. No, won Michael, that these are two different standards. And Look, we can we, no, we no. can project <laughs> phenomenal watchability onto Luka Doncic. Watchability does not equal wins. These are different standards, Michael. That's why I would have Luka number one on the entertainment value. You're making an interesting point because I do sometimes imagine what would a world look like if we only valued wins and all of a sudden Tim Duncan would be like, figuring prominently in the GOAT conversation rather than the entertainment factor and everybody would sort of be rallying around guys like John Stockton and some of my favorite players. Uh-huh. What I'm saying is, look, there are obvious things you can nitpick um, with Luka. You could say he's not the best player in the NBA. I was certainly not making that argument. I'm telling you right now, he's going to be the best freaking show this year in the league, hands down. You better be paying attention, Michael. The games start tomorrow. Just Ben Goller, just moving the goalposts on these conversations every time we have them. I love you. I respect you. Oh, that's exactly um, what the goalpost was. Watchability. Watchability <laughs> and top 100, two different rankings, right? I mean, you've got all sorts of guys. LaMelo Ball is going to figure in my watchability rankings a long time before he figures into my top 100. I mean, this guy, every night, it's 0 for 5 or 0 for 7. One awesome highlight, <laughs> and he's trending on the internet. This is what I mean, Michael. Uh you know, wins and uh, wins and watchability are two different conversations. All right, guys, email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. If you have any other coaches you think should be on the hot seat, any of the names of guys who we mentioned that you think should be totally safe, let us know. Weigh in on those top 100 debates. Michael and I will be back later this week to dig into a few more back and forth on that list as well. Be sure to check it out. Um, Michael, they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words, 
When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael is on Twitter and Instagram at Michael V is in Victor Pina. Be sure to follow up. The season's starting. Michael's going to have some heater tweets. Hop on there and make sure you're following all his good content. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. All right, Michael, until later this week when we're going to have regular season basketball to dissect, digest, and discuss, I will talk to you. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.